Get it, loser, we're doing a podcast. <laughs> it's an obvious joke, but a good one. But it is a good one. <laughs> Welcome to Under the Bridge, everybody. Welcome to Under the Bridge. I'm Cody, a.k.a. the Scarlet Troll. And I'm Greg, a.k.a. Greg. And we're here, as always, to talk movie news, sometimes comic news, sometimes gaming news, and usually a movie review. Especially in this one, because there's been several movies this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I, I was busy this weekend. I saw a few different things. I only saw the one thing. <laughs> so since I cut the little bit of gaming news because I didn't properly have time to look into it, and I don't just want to call somebody an a-hole for no reason. <laughs> when I call someone an a-hole, I want to make sure it's at least justified in the moment, you know? We will take any opportunity to justifiably call someone an a-hole yeah, on this show. Yeah, like David Zaslam. He's an a-hole. <laughs> yeah, yes he is. He has proven that many times. <laughs> I'm not afraid to say so either. Mm. What's he gonna do, write me off for taxes? <laughs> Anyways, that's not the point. <laughs> Moving on to another group I have less than great opinions on. Spider-Man Editorial. <laughs> what did they do this time? Did they throw another dart at the Make Peter Parker Miserable dartboard? No, actually, uh, just the opposite. Ultimate Spider-Man, I don't have exact numbers in front of me, I'm not sure they've even really been released yet. But, mm -hmm. anecdotally at least, it appears Ultimate Spider-Man is flying off the shelves. That's... The one where he's married. That's a good thing, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, after ages of Spider-Man editorial going, uh, we don't think that's what people want to see, we don't hear anybody complaining about the marriage being gone. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, what were you lying? <laughs> I actually picked up a copy violating my no single issues rule. I am vehemently against collecting single issues of comics. They are a pain in the behind to organize. They can't be displayed as nicely as trades. It's just it's just a messier thing all around. But in support of this book, I bought I bought Ultimate Spider-Man number one. I will continue to buy the rest of it, and I want to make clear I'm not buying the rest of the series, or I'm not continuing with it, because of the marriage. I picked it up because of the marriage. I'm keeping with it because the writer and artist are damn good at what they do. Okay, so there's actually a good story and good pictures going on here, then. I think I finally see what the new Ultimate Universe is going for. Which is? Well, because the idea was the maker, the original Ultimate Universe, Reed Richards, went to a different universe and basically made it so no superheroes exist and set himself up as God, or whatever. Maybe not God, but functionally, like, world leader. Right. So, Tony Stark and a couple other people find out about this, and they steal some means of people turning into heroes, which actually begs the question why the Maker didn't just destroy them, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's part of his plan, mm. and start distributing them. So, most of this issue is, and spoilers for Ultimate Spider-Man, if, if you want to read it but haven't, absolutely do, pick up a copy. It's a great start, I can't wait to see where this goes. The idea is that Peter spends most of this day walking around kind of out of it, and you assume because it's the memorial service for an attack that Tony Stark was framed for that Peter's Aunt May died in. Mm. And you assume it's because of that. And then you come to find out, no, what's actually bugging him. He's talking about, I felt like my whole life something was missing, and I wasn't doing what I was meant to do. Mm -hmm. And I just found out that that's true and I don't know what to do now. And he's talking it over with his Uncle Ben, who's still alive. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> it's, it's one of the best setups ever. He goes to, Peter goes to work at the Daily Bugle, and J. Jonah Jameson's stomping around shouting for Parker, and he just, he just passes by Peter. Oh, hey, Peter, how's it going? Hi, Mr. Mm. Jameson. Parker, where are you? And it turns out Uncle Ben is one of, like, the head editors of the Daily Bugle. Really? Yes, it's amazing. It's, okay. a, it's such an interesting flip on things. So he talks it out with Uncle Ben, he talks it out with Mary Jane, he doesn't give them the exact details, and then we find out the reason he now knows is because the previous night he received a message from Tony Stark explaining basically, hey, you were supposed to be a, a really great hero, you were supposed to get fantastical abilities, and that was taken from you. Hmm. We have here something for you to protect your identity and something that will let you undergo a post-human transformation. We're basically stuck in the future. In six months, we'll be back. I'm hoping we come back for, to a world of heroes. I'm hoping we find that you're one of them. So, hmm. this is a Peter who actively knows about responsibility and chooses to take the great power, knowing that's going to come with greater responsibility. It's such an interesting flip 
on how Spider-Man usually gets started. And also, this is... I, I said that I think I have a better idea of what Ultimate Universe... Yeah, what the new Ultimate Universe is about. And by that I mean, now it seems like this is... What do you do when you feel like the life you were supposed to have was taken because those who had set themselves up as puppet masters and god kings and what have you have decided to take that thing that you wanted, that thing that belonged to you, and use it for their own ends. That is definitely a more interesting setup. Granted, uh, with the asterisk of I haven't really read, well, a lot of comics in general, especially the Spider-Man comics, it's cool that they did that versus... Because I always felt like the usual setup is different flavors of more or less accidentally getting spider powers... And because of him getting his powers and his newfound job as hero, learning very harshly the responsibility that comes with it. It's interesting to see that he's already an established adult with an established career and established life, now leaning into the hero stuff, knowing that it was supposed to be his but didn't become his, and is accepting what also comes with that seemingly. Because I feel like that also potentially opens up the floor from some more interesting changes to the usual Spider-Man formula as far as how Peter Parker carries himself. Yeah, and obviously I'm expecting conflict. I'm expecting him to have not actually necessarily maybe fully thought it through and there being expectations Mm -hmm. and setbacks that he wasn't anticipating. Oh, yeah. But it is really cool to see instead of a Peter who gains power and has to learn responsibility, a Peter who learns responsibility and chooses to accept power. That's... That's so cool. I mean, I haven't read it, but it also feels like, by default, with that kind of setup, it's a lot more personable and a lot more grounded. I'd say so. Yeah, just on the fact that it's like, it'd be like you're a working adult who has proven who, who they are and all that, and accepts their responsibility and does everything they're supposed to, and then, while definitely not the same kind of comparison, kind of gets jumped into a much, much, much higher position at, like, your company, or instance, like, well above the normal promotion ladder. And it's like, oh, okay, I, I'll, t- I'll do it because I already know that I am capable of being responsible and I'll just have to deal with whatever comes with this rather than be like a fish out of water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's also some funny memes going around about Tony and company <laughs> pulling the same shtick with other heroes who are meant to be. And I think oh my personal favorite is an image of somebody looking forward with a concerned face and it's, Renowned neurosurgeon Dr. Stephen Strange when Tony and Reed roll up to him with a magic kit and a ball-peen hammer. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, hey, I got, hey, just so you know, you're supposed to have magical powers. It's like, oh, that's great. It's like, break his hands. But it's like, it comes with a cost. (laughs) What kind of cost? Put your hands over here. (laughs) Wapa. It's like, wapa, (laughs) wapa. Terrible. I can't wait. And you know this is going to backfire. Like, this isn't going to go the way Tony expects, and it wouldn't surprise me if that's part of why the Maker... Because, like, okay, I imagine some things the Maker couldn't destroy because they were too dangerous to safely dispose of, although he probably could have found a way. But, like, he could have smushed the spider if it was that important. He didn't have to put the spider in cryonic stasis. Right. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Maker has still kept all that stuff around because he knows this isn't going to go exactly the way Tony hoped. Because it's been... I think 20 years or something since people were supposed to, since some of this stuff was supposed to happen, like Peter was supposed to get bitten 20 years ago. For some people, oh. it's probably been longer. So, okay. very clearly, some of these people are not going to be the same people they were 20 years ago. Mm. So it wouldn't surprise me if we see some heroes be villains, hmm. or some heroes rejected altogether, because they're not the same, and they're not going to go chasing something that was supposed to happen ages ago in their life that didn't, or finding that out, and that revelation changes them in a not-great way. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's been done in the comics before, but I'm thinking about it as, like, it would be kind of cool if the other, like, heroes that were established heroes get the news, like, hey, you are supposed to do this thing 20 years ago and become one of the greatest heroes. It's like, do you want to do it now? No. No, fuck off, man. Yeah, like, I have a life. I have a family. <laughs> it's like, it's like, this is very much a case of not my problem. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's my push for Ultimate Spider-Man. Go read it. Uh, Greg, I will lend you my copy so you can read it, because... Alrighty. <laughs> it's good. That's, I mean, it sounds good. I'm glad that it's... At, even with my documented being angry at the Ultimate Universe being back, mostly just because it's a thing of I was under the impression that it literally destroyed itself, this sounds very good. <laughs> yeah. It's engaged. I can't wait to see where this goes. I'm gonna move on now. Mm-hmm. We got an announcement of another Star Wars movie. Oh boy. 
Yeah, The Mandalorian and Grogu is going into production this year. Okay. Directed by Jon Favreau. Of course. Which, that gives me a little bit of hope. I still haven't seen Mando Season 3. I saw the first episode and then I stopped. Mm. But The Mandalorian has been one of my favorite things since Star Wars sort of came back with the sequel era. Mm-hmm. So, that's exciting, but also, God, again, with we're, we're back. We're back in the phase of, <laughs> let's just announce how many things we're working on and see what fucking happens. Yeah, that's my whole thing of, like, because I saw this before we, ta- we were talking about it here, and there's a voice in the back of my head that's just like, cool, and this is also, of all the movie projects that, that have been announced, this is probably the one that is most likely to actually finish and hit movie theaters. But I'm not putting faith in it. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Because it is the thing if we keep on getting these movie announcements and all that, and some get shit-canned, some just we never hear about or anything like that, I feel like even though it was just announced that it's going to start production this year, I will say I feel like that this is probably the one, the newest project that was just announced is probably the one that would probably hit theaters first. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Because, like, if I remember right, the ones that we for sure know are being made, it's this and just the Taika Waititi movie, right? No, no, no. There's also the James Mangold Star Wars biblical epic functionally. There's the mm. Ray movie, and there's the Dave Filoni Heir to the Empire movie. Okay. Well, I wasn't sure if those are actually have if those ones have actually started production. Oh no, those haven't started production. So yeah. theoretically speaking, none of them have started production. Ergo, any of them could get canceled at any time. That is fair. I was under the impression that the Taika Waititi one had started production a little bit. No, no. I think he's still back on writing the script or something. Oh Jesus! How many years has it been? <laughs> a while. A while. <laughs> It's like, I know it's Star Wars, and Star Wars is a big project that is going to require and deserves a lot of work, but holy shit, I'm pretty sure that was announced before the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, right? Anyways, this is the way, I suppose. Indeed. Ahsoka Season 2 is also happening, but I haven't seen Season 1, so I have no opinions. Yeah, same. (laughs) Got some news on a sequel to a movie I didn't like. (laughs) Oh, that's encouraging. What do we got? The Exorcist Deceiver has been taken off Universal's release calendar because director David Gordon Green has departed. Once again, is this a good thing? (laughs) I think so. Honestly, it'd be a good thing if they never made another one of these again. Oh, you know they'll never do that. Because, like, okay, okay, (laughs) The Exorcist Believer wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen, but boy, how absolutely ridiculous of you to announce that a trilogy was coming from the same guy who you got to do a Halloween trilogy that started off promising and then quickly spiraled into absolute ludicrous mediocrity. Mm. <laughs> Bold strategy watching that unfold and going, I'll do it again! <laughs> I'll do it again! <laughs> I'll do it again! You cannot stop me! You very emphatically cannot stop me from doing this. Right. Ridiculous. Absolutely absurd. Quite. <laughs> it was supposed to come out next April, April 18th, 2025. Uh, instead, Antoine Fuqua's Michael Jackson biopic Michael is coming out on that date. I forgot that that was actually happening. I never heard of that until now. I remember hearing something about it relatively recently. Like, reading an article about it and being like, yeah, there's a Michael Jackson biopic on the way. It's like, oh, neat. And completely forgot about it. <laughs> you, know, you know, the worst part is, I thought I was like... Huh, I wonder how much stuff they're going to whitewash in this movie, and then I remembered. <laughs> Oof. Uh, there's a vitiligo joke somewhere in here. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Alright, another bit of news that I didn't cut. Okay. <laughs> we officially have word from James Gunn that Anya Chalotra... Chalotra? I apologize for the pronunciation, I'm bad at this. Mm-hmm. We'll be playing Circe in Creature Commandos. Okay. Circe is an ancient Greek sorceress, usually an enemy of Wonder Woman, for the record. Oh boy. Remember that Justice League episode where Wonder Woman got turned into a pig? Vaguely. Yeah, Circe did that. Okay. She was the one who wanted Bruce Wayne to go sing that jazz song in order to turn Wonder Woman back and was standing there crying with Zatanna. <laughs> I am upset that I don't remember more of that, because I think I feel like I would give anything to see Bruce Wayne doing jazz. (laughs) Maybe it wasn't jazz. Maybe it was more lounge music. Point is... Even still. 
That's got some heavy Big O vibes. <laughs> <laughs> it was very good. Anyways, uh, yeah, no, this is exciting. I don't know much about this actress. Apparently she was Yennefer in The Witcher, which I haven't seen any of because I don't care. Mm. <laughs> I know, I've heard The Witcher's are, the Witcher's a great series of games, I just, I don't have the time anymore. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen bits and pieces of the show, because I've watched a couple episodes with my brother-in-law and my sister. And from the bits I've watched, it's a good show. But definitely not enough for me to continually watch it, but... Everything I've seen, including all the actors and actresses, are good, so that's at least encouraging, then, if it's someone lifted from the Witcher series. And also, this means that... No, I guess we already knew that they were going to abandon the Wonder Woman corner entirely because Paradise Lost is in development, that live-action TV series. Right. So maybe she'll also be in that, but who knows, maybe, uh... I don't know. I guess they're still trying to feel out what to do about Wonder Woman. Right. God. Ugh. Damn it. <laughs> hey, you did that to yourself. <laughs> I did it to myself, but also to be fair, every time I think about Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, I just hear it now. Ah, uh, that's, that's fair. It's really bad. <laughs> and I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, another interesting update, when he confirmed this casting, he said, There are other cool characters in the show played by other cool actors, but all the series regulars were announced. So, obviously Cersei's not going to be a regular. It makes sense because since she's a villain, obviously you wouldn't have her be a hero. And... Right. It makes sense not to have her be the main antagonist because she's more of a Wonder Woman thing, and I'd kind of want to see her fight Wonder Woman. Which is fair. Yeah. But no, I'm very excited for Creature Commandos. It's coming out late this year, is all we know. I wouldn't be surprised if around Halloween, because, well... It would be fitting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now we get to a bit that's a little bit review and a little bit news. Echo came out last Tuesday. Alrighty. And I, I watched the whole series in one go, just cannonballed it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's only five episodes. It wasn't that bad. I was only up oh. to, like, 130. For whatever reason, my brain thought it was, like, nine episodes. God, can you imagine? I mean, I did that when when Jessica Jones first came out, and I regretted that immensely. <laughs> I did that with Daredevil Season 1. <laughs> like, I, I didn't regret watching all of Jessica Jones, because Jessica Jones is great. I regretted spending my entire day watching Jessica Jones. <laughs> yeah, that's not a series where you feel good at the end. No. Anyways, Echo was okay. It is definitely not my favorite of these Disney Plus series. It's on the lower end of ones that I liked, but it was still okay. It was Echo K. Shut up. <laughs> Make me. <laughs> the real problems are, you can feel where it was supposed to have more episodes It got diced up in editing. Mm. The choreography is okay, but you can feel where it's not Daredevil, which is really unfortunate when Daredevil does show up. Okay. It's one of those things where this would be an unfair comparison, except Daredevil's in it, so... <laughs> <laughs> and I imagine he kicks ass. <laughs> for the for the five minutes he's in it. Mm, okay, fair enough. Which is fair, because it's not his thing. Mm. I wasn't expecting him to be hugely in it, so the fact that he's not a major presence is not a problem. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, once again, slaying in his kingpin, absolutely phenomenal. Of course, like he's slaying his, his victims. Yep, with a car door. Hmm. <laughs> And I also like the exploration it has in his relationship with Maya. I like that it doesn't shy away from the fact that Maya herself is not a great person, even mm. if it does kind of, at the end, maybe drop the ball a little bit there. Oh, do they try and, like, justify her a tiny bit at the end? No, no they don't justify, but they do kind of gloss over it. Mm. She just killed 37 people. Uh, that they yeah, know yeah, about. She, yeah, they know about. Anyway! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's very interesting how much of this doesn't have dialogue because she speaks in ASL, and therefore a lot of people will speak it back to her. So that's really cool. Mm. Very interesting to see. The power change. Um, I'm not a fan. I'll give them props. They did it in such a way that her superhero name functionally still makes sense. Like, they folded in a really good explanation. But the powers themselves feel vague and a little weirdly defined, and also, like, this is one of those things where I'd have significantly less of a problem if the director wasn't on record calling her actual powers lame, and I'm just like, this is a lateral move at best. <laughs> the fuck are you to talk this shit? You know what, I did forget that Echo does actually have powers in the comics. Yeah, she's basically Taskmaster. Yeah. And they already fucked up Taskmaster, so... So he's like, guys, we already fucked up Taskmaster, we can't do Taskmaster again. Okay, well, what are we supposed to do? I, I, I don't know what they did, because I haven't watched Echo yet. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it. I will say, I suppose it's ultimately fine, because Taskmaster, they got the powers right and just fucked up everything else. 
Echo, they got pretty much everything else right and just fucked up the powers, so I guess this averages out to one <laughs> character with this power set who's good, so... So it's even. <laughs> yeah, one out of two ain't bad. Swing for the fences. Right. <laughs> bat gets stuck in the fence. I said swing for the fences, not let go of the bat. <laughs> <laughs> no, e- Echo Echo was a decent time, and I'm looking forward to watching it again. Uh, the interesting news that follows on from this is that Disney Plus updated their MCU in Timeline Order playlist, and all the Defenders shows are now listed on there. Yay! Well, okay, so yay for Punisher. Well, actually, pretty much yay for everything except for Iron Fist. <laughs> and the Defenders. The Defenders itself was kind of a letdown. Yeah, it was. But, and also, again, really would have been nice if you'd included any of those shows in that physical book that I paid money for. Right, that was a thing. I forgot about that. <laughs> Since they're part of the timeline now. <laughs> Yeah, that's a big kind of that's a that's a little bit of a whoopsie. <laughs> nah, I'm just joking, you guys. I get it. Mm. It's kind of a dick move, but like whatever. It's Hollywood. Hollywood yep. is filled with dick moves. That's showbiz, baby. Mm-hmm. Actually, you set me up for a brilliant transition with that. Oh boy. <laughs> I don't know if I need to bring back the jingle, but this might be a pay your writers thing. <laughs> oh God, what do we have this time? Pay your fucking writers. And now actors. SAG-AFTRA has announced an agreement with AI voice technology company Replica Studios. It permits SAG-AFTRA members to work with Replica to create digital replications of their voices, which can be licensed out for use in video games and other interactive media projects, with SAG-AFTRA authored protections. Okay. Now, on the face of it, this doesn't sound like the worst thing in the world. Right. Because it does emphasize the need for informed consent, it does say no unauthorized usage... Which means that the people who lent their voices are still going to get paid if AI gets used, ideally. Yeah. Uh, They also specify at work that Replica Studios is going to be doing, creating digital replicas of voices, will now be done solely in compliance with our collective bargaining agreement. Mm -hmm. They state there's nothing in this agreement that is a lesser term than what was just approved by our membership at large a month ago. Performer would sign with Replica and be covered by them, and the license to devs would require the protections and compensation be carried through. Okay. But it seems like... Nobody's really happy about this on the actor side. Hmm. And that's anecdotal, I'll note. Okay. But almost everything I've seen has been, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> Might be some, like, small print thing that we that they're not telling people about. Maybe. Hmm. Or who knows? Maybe it's a principled thing. Right. Because, like, okay, doing it with permission is fine, it's still weird and just... just just pay the actors. Just get the actors to do it. Who- yeah. Just, just pay your fucking actors. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Hmm. Uh, notably, Chris Hackney, the voice of Rauru in Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, wrote, I want to act. I do not want to sell someone my likeness to use and then pay me. It defeats the purpose of art and performance when neither art is created nor do I perform. Which is fair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. This doesn't so yeah, this doesn't sound directly harmful, but it does sound like it sounds like it undermines what is acting. Yeah. But I mean, if people want to sign up for it, fine. I just hope this doesn't turn into a thing where it's like, well, you don't have to do it, but we're not going to hire you unless you do. Mm. Which could very well be a thing and it's probably part of why people are concerned. Yeah, yeah. Once again, Hollywood is filled with dick moves and dicks. <laughs> oh, yeah it is. Oh, mm. yeah it is. Let's get into trailer time. Oh boy. It's trailer time again. We've got movie previews to watch. It's trailer time again. I only created a couple this week because I didn't find a lot that actually seemed like it was up my alley. And also was coming out in theaters, which I kind of still want to stick to. Right. This one. No way up. This looks fucking stupid. <laughs> this it's it's horrible. it's literally it's literally like we had snakes on a plane and we had whatever else on a plane. Now let's have sharks on the plane. <laughs> yeah, like... it's like somebody said, "How do we get a shark on a plane?" Y- you don't. But what if we wanted to? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's it's very clear. It's like someone really wanted to have sharks on a plane and just did a whole lot of work to make it happen. It's just an improv session. It's a yes <laughs> and. It's a. A bunch of people are going on a vacation and then their plane crashes. Yes, and? <laughs> they end up at the bottom of the ocean. Yes, and? They're sharks. Yes, and? <laughs> <laughs> like, you could have just had the plane crash at the bottom of the ocean. You didn't need to add sharks. 
Mm-hmm. You could have made a proper tense movie without the sharks. The thing that it's the thing I can't wrap my head around that my brain still refuses to accept as okay is the whole bit in the trailer where he's like, "Well, oh, we're we're okay. We're in an airlock." It's like, no. I don't believe you. You all should be dead, or at least underwater, because, like, air bubbles underwater are very much a thing, but the entire side of the plane got blown the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, there's no way that made a big enough air bubble. Also, if the plane is so in disrepair that it was falling apart like that, mm-hmm. why didn't it break when it hit the water? I, so, you know what's funny is that I am extremely confident, they'll never say what plane it is, but based on, like, the way it looks and the do du- and the twin engine design, I am very confident that they purposely chose to make it look like a 737 Max with all the shit that's been going on with Boeing over the last, like, couple years. Alright. And it's just the thing of, like, I saw that, it's just like, oh, Jesus Christ, here we go. <laughs> but no, I'm pretty, because water's not soft. When you hit it no. fast enough, or from high up enough, it is hard. It is like concrete, functionally. That yeah. plane is gonna—it's gonna break. Yeah, the plane's gonna break up, and with the fact that the chairs were being lifted out by force from their bolts in the bottom of the plane, it's like these people should be dead. There should like—it's like you think like no, there actually should be no survivors whatsoever. The sharks are. Yeah, the sharks should just be like, oh, we got a free buffet. Hell yeah. <laughs> Body parts and, everywhere. Yeah, and we don't even have to work for it. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, what a terrible movie. I hope I don't have to go watch this one. Same. <laughs> On the flip side, we also got a trailer for what was previously known as Untitled Radio Silence Monster Project, now mm. known as Abigail. And this looks great. <laughs> I can't fucking wait. I mean, okay, so it also looks stupid, but it looks like the good kind of stupid. <laughs> yeah. I guess this is kind of an adaptation of Dracula's daughter. Yeah. Yeah, pretty, I guess. <laughs> but also it's got Melissa Barrera and Catherine Newton in it. Right. And Giancarlo Esposito. Yeah, no, it, he showed up. It's just like, oh, okay, he's here. Like, where is this going? And as it played out and, and seeing how absolutely ridiculous and zany it is, it's like, Somehow, Giancarlo Esposito seems like the right fit for this movie. <laughs> May I make a prediction right off the bat? Go for it. He's Dracula. The whole the whole thing is a setup to get her some victims. I would be inclined to agree with that prediction. <laughs> I'm shooting my shot now. He's Dracula. He set the whole thing up so he could get them to die at his daughter's hands. Boom. There we go. Yeah. Maybe it was because of the version I watched on YouTube. But I was very surprised how many F-bombs there were, and it wasn't a Red Band trailer. Because usually even, like, I know it'll be for, like, more gratuitous things for, like, actual gore and nudity and whatnot, but it's like, with the number of F-bombs, I figured this would be a Red Band trailer too, but I guess not. (laughs) Especially because the ones that, like, I've seen the, I've seen the Green Band trailer more because it's in theaters now. Mm Mm-hmm. But when that one guy says, let's kill us a vampire, you can hear where they cut out the fucking vampire. <laughs> yeah. I like that this movie very much seems to be a thing of, these people know how fucking ridiculous it is, and they are completely on board for it. With little things like, there's a vampire on my ass, and <laughs> and with Abigail like dancing with a beheaded corpse at the very end of the trailer, and it's just like, what? I hate ballet. And also, yeah, the hate by late, and also the whole, like, zombie, like, monster dance number that happens for, like, a second and a half. It's like, alright, we, everyone is clearly on board with how fucking stupid this movie is, and they're clearly having a very good time. (laughs) I'm very excited for this one. This looks ridiculous. Right. Actually, I think this, yeah, this is all my most anticipated right now. I had to move some things now that Mean Girls came out, so it's not on the list anymore. Right. I mean, this would definitely be up there for me as well. God, I just... Ah! Universal's finally figured out what to do. No interconnected universe, just random nonsense. Yeah, just random bullshit. (laughs) Just do whatever you want to do with monsters. Right. Alright, let's go to box office. Oh boy. We did actually see the highest grossing movie this weekend. Double oh boy. It's Mean Girls. Yay. $33.2 million domestic weekend, and in total so far, I guess... I'm having a hard time getting reporting on this, and I think it's because the holiday on Monday. Right. $39.7 million worldwide total from what I could find, though. Okay. On a $36 million budget, so 
barring a very steep drop off, it it might actually end up being a little bit profitable. Alrighty. We'll see though. Mm. The beekeeper, which I also saw, took second place. Okay. Nineteen million dollar domestic weekend, twenty one point eight million dollars worldwide. Okay. And in I think ninth place, the book of Clarence. <laughs> Three million dollar domestic weekend and total. No worldwide total as far as I can find. I couldn't find a budget for the beekeeper, but the book of Clarence has a forty million dollar budget, so this does not bode Oof. well. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's not great. But I understand it because I think I'm gonna start with the book of Clarence. Okay. So this is a biblical comedy drama music film. Nobody sings in it, so I don't want to call it a musical, but a okay. lot of the times it's shot kind of like a music video. I mean, that makes sense, because it's like, I think Jay-Z is one of the executive producers on this. Yeah, no, that, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing for me is that the movie... Okay, so let me let me break down the premise. Clarence and his buddy Elijah are... The uh, kind of grifters, I guess you could call them. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> they, they owe money to a guy. Well, Clarence owes money to a guy. And they're trying to figure out ways to get that money back, because otherwise Clarence is going to be killed by this man, Jedediah the Terrible. Right. And he gets the idea, first to become, try and become an apostle of Jesus. <laughs> okay. Thinking that the influence from that will save him. When that doesn't pan out, he ends up deciding to present himself as a as a different messiah cuz that went so well <laughs> and it's kind of weird because he he, he constantly Clarence himself does not believe in god as stated and he constantly espouses that knowledge is stronger than belief mm-hmm. and i guess part of the point is that he's kind of a hypocrite because he also he ends up performing fake miracles so basically preying on belief rather than actually spreading knowledge right and it starts off decently funny enough at the start mm mm-hmm. mhm but by the end, it's kind of turned into a full-blown actual religious faith movie. Oh. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, okay, to be fair, I'll I'll state my biases. I have some real fucking problems with Christianity. Mm. Maybe not on paper, but in practice. Yeah. Like, in, in I want to say I have more of a problem with organized religion as a whole, but most of my experience in that department is Christianity, so it's mostly Christianity that I have the problem with, because that's all I'm equipped to say without coming across as really fucking ignorant. But... I think it's also a thing, too, where, in fairness as well, nine times out of ten, a lot of established religious movies that have come out over the past, I don't know, like, ten years or so, usually have a lean that, I mean, most movies do. Most forms of media, in some capacity, no matter how big or small, are going to have some kind of lean or bias or what have you. But usually it's a lot more upfront with it with religious movies, with, and it's layered on a lot more thick. Yeah. So I can understand, like, kind of some misgivings there. I will say, the nicest thing I'll say about this movie, and I, I feel like the biggest compliment I can give it, is mm. most... Movies that are unambiguously faith-based, with no, like, irony or anything. And I mean, Book of Clarence starts out with that irony, but gradually starts to abandon it. Hmm. Most movies that end with that kind of just straight-laced, no-ironic expression of faith, usually those are a one-star for me, regardless. Right. This is a three-star. Hmm. I would, I, would, I would say that I like this, I don't know if I ever really want to watch it again... But I am glad that I saw it, which is more than I can say for most movies of its ilk. So, all right, I mean that as praise. Right. No, I mean I can I can definitely get behind that. If anything, I'd say that means that the first like half or two thirds of the movies must must be exceptional then, and just gets hit really hard by the last bit of it. I don't know about exceptional, but it's like it, it was an interesting thing on what it was trying to do, and it's just the bit at the end where it veers off in a. <sighs> I don't want to spoil it, so I won't. But man. Hmm. They do a good job giving you an idea of Jedediah's character, or not Jedediah, Clarence's character. I I wrote down a note here with Jedediah's name in it, and I was looking at Point is... <laughs> I, I, I know what you meant. <laughs> where he's kind of a, he's kind of a shifty asshole, but he's not an asshole, you know? But he is shifty. He's shifty. And, and next, he, he'll be showing up in Fast and Furious 11. <laughs> <laughs> There's a really good line in here. I don't think it's much of a spoiler. He's hmm. a giant who thinks he's an ant. Hmm. 
Okay. And that's a really great summation, because he's that sort of person with really big potential who doesn't think he has it, and therefore, instead of actually aiming big, he aims big in the smallest ways possible for the most part. Okay. All right. So that was good. Also really well acted, because obviously you've got Lakeith Stanfield. He's actually got a double role in this. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Hmm. You got Anna Diop, you got Omar Sy, Alfred Woodard. Okay. David Oyelowo. I apologize, I'm very bad at pronouncing names. Wait, James James McAvoy and Benedict Cumberbatch are in this? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> James McAvoy's alright. Benedict Cumberbatch is... I feel like they were going to do more with him at some point, but cut it? Hmm. He still comes back in the end in a big-ish way, but I'm not sure to what end. Okay. Like, I'm not sure the point they were trying to make with him. It does lead to some funny jokes. <laughs> In fact, he's arguably the funniest thing at the end of the movie. Okay. <laughs> I wonder if maybe that's why they did it, because they were like, ah, oh, this is getting kind of heavy near the end, but we don't want to take away from the pathos of our main character's plight, so let's just have Benedict Cumberbatch doing some bits. Right. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Yeah, I'd say this is worth a watch, but it feels a little confused. Okay. And that confusion really hurts it, especially near the end, but that might just be the product of my own... I had to try twice to watch God's Not Dead 3. <laughs> Which, to be fair, the God's Not Dead movies are genuinely fucking terrible. I maintain yeah. that. It doesn't matter that they're faith-based. They'd be terrible anyways. It just so happens they're also obnoxious because they're Christian movies. That are also <laughs> terrible. As I say, I don't know why you put yourself through that twice. <laughs> because that was back when I was doing singular reviews for movies and just staring at the camera for a few minutes, and the first time... I, it was when I had movie pass, so I was seeing literally everything that I could. Right. <laughs> so, I tried it once, walked away, one of my online friends was like, eh, it's not really fair to review it if you haven't actually finished it. And I was like, I don't think that's true, but... Fine, whatever. So I went back and tried again. I still hated mm. it. <laughs> it was better than the other two by virtue of being almost a little more nuanced. This isn't about God's Not Dead 3. Right. <laughs> the point is, Book of Clarence isn't bad, but it feels like it's being held back from what it could be if they were willing to commit to one thing or another. Right. I also saw The Beekeeper. Which was? Not great. <laughs> I am somehow not surprised, even though, as much as I love Jason Statham, and I do very much love Jason Statham, it was one of those things like, I want to see this, but I'm not expecting greatness. <laughs> no, and I want to like this one, and honestly, I, I feel a little weird saying I think Book of Clarence is better when Book of Clarence feels like it's suffering from a real identity crisis. Mm -hmm. The Beekeeper, it feels like they know what they want to be, but they're less good at getting B, ha. Huh? But... Uh <laughs> Jesus I can't do Christ. this. I can't do this all fucking day. If I do this all fucking day. <laughs> the point is, Beekeeper knows what it wants to be, but also doesn't fully know how to get there. Mm. Uh, for those who may not know, Jason Statham is playing Adam Clay? Adrian Clay? Adam Clay. Who is a former member of a super secret special ops group called the Beekeepers that exist outside the chain of command that are supposed to act under their own authority to correct the system, as it were. The system mm. being the hive. There's a lot of fucking bee parallels in here. It's, it's, it's part of where I think they must have some self-awareness, but also makes it hurt more when it feels like they don't, because they have Jason Statham. He doesn't talk a lot in this movie, and a lot of what he does is just bee metaphors. <laughs> I, I assume he stings somebody, then. No. What? <laughs> I mean, sting with what? He doesn't have... He's not a bee man He doesn't, he doesn't well, have, no. like, fucking stinger blades coming out of his wrists. Oh, that's boring. <laughs> Anyways. Mm. I feel like the real problem with this one... Oh, okay, there's a couple big problems. One of which is... I don't know if this was ever substantiated, but you know how the, there were... There was talks in some of the middle of the saga of Fast and Furious movies... That the big players like Vin Diesel and The Rock and Jason Statham all had clauses in their contracts about how often they were allowed to get hit. Right. You can feel that here in Statham's contract. I remember seeing a bit of that in just the first trailer for it during the bit where he's fighting all like the armed FBI guards. And there's one bit in that fight where it's very clear 
that no body part is making contact, but someone gets hit upside the head. It's just like, mm, here. <laughs> Would you believe me if I said I'm pretty sure that up until the last confrontation in the movie, he doesn't take a single hit? I can believe that. <laughs> it's frustrating as hell when you realize it. <laughs> because on the one hand, I get it. He's supposed to be the actual very best of the best. Right. But come on. Like, best of the best does not also mean totally invincible from these hands. <laughs> and in fact, in the end, when he does meet somebody who actually starts landing some hits, it feels somehow faker. Really? Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, this is the point when somebody in editing was like, or somebody, like a producer or something was like, uh, Mr. Statham, sir, I, I know I know you really want to be this absolutely unstoppable badass, but it doesn't do a lot for tension for the movie. <laughs> it's like, yeah, alright, I'll take two hits at the end. Two hits and a nosh stab. Mm. I, I have a terrible Jason Statham impression. No, but I could see it. <laughs> there is a part of my brain that has a little skit playing in it where it's like, it's Jason Statham um, bargaining with the producer on, like, Price is Right or some shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just and it's like... a damn shame because he's not bad in this. He's actually... <laughs> Jason Statham is really good at that sort of stoic amiability where you're kind yeah. of afraid to approach him, but he seems like a nice enough fella in spite of that. He's courteous. He's not talking down to anybody. Right. But he's a little too good at it in this one, because that seems to be all he actually shows. And coupled with him barely taking any hits in this movie, I just think, you're better than this. But in mm. trying to prove that you're better than this, you're making yourself worse than this. Right. And the real problem I have with it is, and I apologize, I'm going to bring this back to cape shit, because that's what I'm most familiar with. <laughs> this feels like the Punisher without any self-awareness or irony, in the mm. sense of regarding morality. because. As cathartic as it is to watch the Punisher kill a bunch of fucking scumbags, and as much as you can relate to the tragedy that drives him, Frank yeah. Castle is not a man in the right. No, and, and, he, and he very much acknowledges that he's not the good guy here. He is a monster. He is yeah. a monster with sympathetic makings, and he is a monster who, theoretically, you kind of want to root for, but he is not meant to be the good guy. Yeah, no. Here, Jason Statham's character is presented... Yeah, it's a kind of tragedy that sets him off, but he's presented as a man with ultimately an unfailing moral compass who knows exactly what needs to be done, and is never really called into question about it. And it's just like, no, 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 he guys, he, guys, he he killed thirty-seven people that they know about <laughs> again. <laughs> I can already kind of see probably like certain ways of trying to go about it, but it is the thing of like, no, he, yeah, he's sympathetic and all that, but you can't also have him unaroused unironically be like, yeah, I'm the good guy here. It's like, no, dog. <laughs> you're part of, because I haven't seen the movie, but from what I've gathered, it's basically thinking, like, you're part of a secret government organization, like a, a clandestine military um, unit, whose whole thing is to kill anything without question that threatens the general balance of things. It's like, there's a lot of places in that kind of, like, mission command, or mission statement that the book of ethics kind of gets thrown about a little bit. Yeah. It's really frustrating with what this movie could be if it was willing to actually, like, take some risks. Mm hmm Or not play it super safe. Also, the the lady who ends up getting scammed, who instigates this whole thing, her daughter, who works for the FBI, terrible mm. character. Oh, really? Does not act like her mom just died at all. Eventually, she gets completely... She's just focusing it... She's supposed to be trying to take down the scammer ring, but then she focuses it on Clay and what he's doing and how wrong it is, and it's like, I know... He's wrong, but you should be more conflicted about this. Yeah. Because, God, it's just, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. <laughs> the main reasons to watch this aren't even Jason Statham. It's actually more Jeremy Irons. <laughs> okay. I'd like to present one line that I wrote down. Hmm. Which is, For someone who has elevated fucking up into an art form, this may be your Mona Lisa. <laughs> Oh, that's a good line. <laughs> I'm going to steal it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it in rotation. Yeah, that's an excellent fucking line. <laughs> you know, it feels a little bit where you can feel the John Wick influences too, because there's a whole at the start of the movie. There's a whole bit where they keep back and forthing on what the beekeepers are, and not actually explaining it. Like the the main dipshit played by Josh Hutcherson, who does a really good job as like a slimy CEO kind of type. Mm -hmm. 
but the new, but the new age into whatever's trendy, like yoga and balancing your chakras and shit kind of CEO. Oh, God almighty. <laughs> yeah, one of these dipshits. Mm. So, he's good at that, but he keeps asking Jeremy to tell him what a beekeeper is, and he just keeps dropping cryptic shit like, all you need to know is, his are probably the last eyes you, pair of eyes you will ever see. It's like, but that doesn't answer the fucking, just fucking tell him! Yeah, just, just tell him how fucked he is. It's like, d- do the whole... I mean, it wouldn't be to the same level of quality, but do the whole introduction of John Wick in the first John Wick movie. Yeah, they they didn't putz around this much with John Wick. Mm-hmm. Tell you what. No, this was not, this was not great. Right. It's mostly just you could feel how toothless it is. The fact that they're not willing to shake things up or question things makes all the action feel kind of anemic. Mm. Uh, that bit when he sends the, from the trailer where he sends the guy careening into the river strapped to a truck... And it's obviously a mannequin. It's still very obviously a mannequin. Oh, boy. Yeah. They did not improve that in post. <laughs> I don't know how you would, but... Right. No, I, I have a really hard time saying go see this one. Mm. Just And I also feel bad for saying that, because it's not, like, the most horrific thing I've ever seen, but it's just so... There's nothing. Not good. Right. There's nothing to it. <laughs> Right. And it has it has a Morbius style ending where it doesn't end; it just stops. <laughs> and you can feel them going, "Man, please come back for a sequel, please." Mm, please, with cherries on top. No, not not great. Mm. Don't play with those things; they go off. Another <laughs> great Jeremy Irons line. Alrighty. <laughs> and it's a shame because there's an actually pretty interesting twist about where things are going leading up to the end of the movie, and then they just take a really toothless approach with that, too. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm gonna say don't bother. This is... It's not great. No. No. It's not the most offensive thing, but I definitely didn't like it, and I can't see much purpose in going to see it. Because there's better Jason Statham movies, and there's better John Wick knockoffs, there's better Punisher knockoffs. Right. Alright, let's get to what y'all came to see. Let's talk about Mean Girls. Mean Girls. (laughs) I I thought I had a better transition than that. That was, like, really, really bad. <laughs> Stop trying to make transitions happen, all right? It's not going to happen. Yeah, I don't know. I just, like, I, idly, like, deadpan just said mean girls into my microphone. Like, it's like, oh, boy. <laughs> what did I? What? <laughs> so, this is... <laughs> what did you write? <laughs> I I don't know why I wrote this. Anyways... <laughs> This is a essentially a remake, I guess. Oh, it's it's an adaptation of the musical Mean Girls based on the original movie based loosely on a book. <laughs> this is like a adaptation Voltron basically. <laughs> it's it's adaptations all the way down. Yes. So for those who haven't seen the 2004 movie, you, sh- was it you should you should first of all, it's a masterpiece and I'm not even a- I'm not even being ironic. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the movie itself is a heavily ironic masterpiece, but I'm not being ironic when I say so. Mm-hmm. The premise of this movie is that Caddy Heron is moving from Africa, where she's been raised her entire life, with her mom, who I guess she doesn't have a dad in this one, which she did right. in the original, but uh, I guess it does, it does free up some stuff. But anyways, uh, Caddy ends up moving to... I don't remember where the high school is. It's in America, though. She tra- she basically trades in the African savanna for an even more treacherous, even less forgiving environment, the public education system in America. Let's say the American public education system. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> yeah. Very few awful. survive. So having uh, no real prior experience with kids her own age, Caddy is really struggling to fit in. And I, Greg, why have you not corrected me on her name yet? <laughs> Because it's funny. <laughs> Greg, Greg, I was, I had a whole bit planned. I was going to keep saying Caddy until you said, it's Katie. And then I would say, okay, I'll commit that to memory. And then immediately call her Caddy again, like in the movie. Well, <laughs> And in letting me get away with my nonsense, you have fucked up my joke. <laughs> it's what I'm here for. That's, that's my responsibility as the host, <laughs> just upset your balance. <laughs> I love it. Don't make me call a beekeeper on you. I will correct the system. What's especially funny about this is that I don't think it's going to be like this in the final p- version of it when you finish it. But to me, your microphone just kind of went into the whole, like, kind of still very clear, but muffled, like, people getting mad in Call of Duty kind of audio quality. <laughs> it might have. I, I don't have a real comfortable place to set up, so I'm just holding my mic. Oh, that's fair. That was still good, though. <laughs> oh, man. 
So. So Katie. <laughs> Katie. I can't. Mm. Uh, <laughs> basically, she ends up drawn into a web of intrigue, lies, deceit, and betrayal. So involving involving a couple of people in their war against the plastics, the the popular girls led by Regina George. Mm-hmm. This is not as good as the original. No, it's still good. It's still good. I still yeah. liked it, but it's missing some teeth. Mm-hmm. It's missing some bite. You know, like I feel like part of that's because Mean Girls was kind of absurd. Like, there is some wacky shit that goes on without explanation or is exaggerated to the point of being funny, even if it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Like, the bit with the, the the two girls getting into a fight because they're both seeing the health teacher. <laughs> so... That's not in this, by the way. Sorry to spoil. Which it probably shouldn't be, because making fun of that, not on in this day and age, but... Yeah, yeah I, I do remember seeing a thing where Tina Fey was asked about that and said, like, any... Unfortunately, a lot of the jokes and whatever that were funny in 2004, but definitely not funny now, or at least would, they wouldn't be able to get, get away with now, at the very least, yeah. or not, did not make it. Because um, I was thinking that, it's like, are they gonna go with the whole thing of how, like, the, the gym teacher was, like, fucking one of the students? <laughs> two of them. Uh, two of them. And then they get in a fight over it. But no, I understand. Because, see, the thing is, it's not just about, it's not funny now, it's that there's a lot more attention on it now. Whereas, mm-hmm. back then you could chalk it up to, like, oh, there was an incident here and there, but that's not necessary. But, like, it's it's scattered. The point is, mm-hmm. I get it. Right. But... It's not the omissions like that, it's the fact that it is a musical. Because mm. in accepting that you're in a musical, there are automatically some assumptions about how the world operates. So it's like, oh, this seems kind of weird, but also there's people dancing around and singing while one girl inner expresses her inner thoughts through song, so it's not that weird. Yeah, so it's like, um, because... We talked about it, like, one of the big things from the original movie, too, was that um, you would hear Katie's, like, inner monologue a lot of the time and how it would conflict with how she was feeling, and they replaced that with music this time around, which... Yeah. It still works in the context of this movie, but it's not as good as, like, the whole inner monologue thing from the from the 2004 movie. Right. Don't get me wrong. I understand that is part of the point of doing a musical, is that it allows you to better express the character's internal thoughts and feelings through musical numbers. Yeah. It just doesn't hit as hard. Right. Like, okay, I've only seen one episode of Game of Thrones, and it was the next to last episode, so forgive me for saying this, but I feel like if I were to watch Game of Thrones, I would still feel like the original Mean Girls had a greater web of social intrigue than Game of Thrones. Or at least, more (laughs) engaging to me personally. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... Don't at me. I mean, to be fair, part of that is that in the original movie, um, through Katie's eyes the inner workings of the high school system and clicks, um, she internalizes as animals fighting with each other. Yeah, no, that <laughs> part was great. And yeah. it doesn't really get as much play here. Right. But it's still funny, and it's still... The musical numbers are good. Yeah. Revenge Party goes on a little long. Yeah, that went on for a little bit too long. But yeah, a lot the musical numbers are very good. I think... Oh god, I, well, the one that's my favorite is also kind of a spoiler, I feel like. It's the one that, that Janice gets into, like, later on. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good one. I, I mean, so one of the interesting things with this movie is that I don't know how much of it can be called a spoiler, too, because the movie does actually... There's certain omissions, of course, but the movie does actually faithfully follow the original movie pretty well. Yeah, but we can't count on audiences having seen the original movie, because I didn't until last year. That's fair. So, we can't just go, oh, it's in the original 20-year-old movie, like, that's a thing. Yeah. I think if it's, I think if it was a sequel to something that came out a few years ago, we could freely talk about it, but... Mm. I don't know, maybe that's just me. Oh, I think that's fair. That's, it, like, thinking about it more, that's fair. You know something terrible? You know what song has been stuck in my head, of all things? Hmm. My name is Regina George has been stuck in my head. <laughs> and I'm a massive deal. <laughs> yes. So that was my, I think that was my favorite song just because it's so, it's very well done. It's very well sung. And the whole like number with the light and the dancers and all that was great. But lyrically, it does sound like something that is written by a 16 year old with their head stuck straight up their ass. <laughs> and it works really well as a villain song. Like, yeah. it's kind of haunting. <laughs> okay, you know what? Actually, 
here's another thing about this movie that gets me. Mm-hmm. There are bits that I like, like some of the effects that they've done using social media and what have you. Oh, yeah. But on the flip side, it's kind of weird that they establish social media as an important element of this movie and use that for some visual effects, but cyberbullying never comes up in this. Hmm. That's fucking weird to me. Like, yeah. I get that the original Mean Girls didn't have it because it released in 2004, and at that point the internet and social media was still a new enough animal that nobody really... You, you couldn't expect a bunch of Hollywood types to understand how the impact that was going to have because most people didn't understand. Right. But to leave out that aspect of high school culture feels yeah. just strange. Part of my brain was, like, I feel like they're trying to imply it a little bit because some of the things that happened with the social media segments in in the movie do kind of for some of those bits that happen if it was something like one or two people focused on one person that was doing it it would come across much better Mm. because again i don't want to really give anything away because i feel like those social media aspects are also the thing that lean into act one two and three of the movie like they're the segues so i don't want to talk too much about what happens in those but because the whole school more or less gets in on them it doesn't come across as much because it's the thing, like, if you if you take away, if it was a thing of, like, it was just one person doing and saying some of the things that are said in those segments, they'd be like, man, you're a fucking asshole. But this <laughs> is a whole fucking lot of high schoolers. It was like, that's right. High schoolers are not our assholes. <laughs> yeah, can confirm. Was one myself. Can fucking confirm. <laughs> also, I feel like the plastics average out to being downplayed in comparison to Regina. Hmm. I feel like Karen gets some more focus in here relative to the original, but Gretchen gets downplayed, so it all... Right. I like this Karen better than the original, I'll say it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's one of my life goals, to not touch a tiger. (laughs) It's like, when that happened, I was just like, okay, so she has dumbassed her way into the correct decision. That's not something you see very often. (laughs) Right? Right? I will say, I like that I feel like they do a good job early in the movie expressing that Katie is not perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, even before they move, it's apparent that her and her mom got in a shouting match and she basically accused her mom of putting her career above her social and emotional well-being. Mm. Which is valid. Which is very valid, because it's like... So, so, in the original movie, it's painted as Katie has just been in Africa willingly this entire time, having the time of her life, and her parents are just like, you know what, you need a normal high school. <laughs> uh, whereas... Here, it's something she actively wanted, and felt like she was missing out on. Yeah, yeah, because she's been in Africa with her mom doing research. <laughs> and the way she goes about it does feel like better foreshadowing for the path that her character takes, and also setting up because she felt like a little, not perfect in the original, but in the original it felt more like she was perfect mm. up until introduced in high school and then corrupted by circumstances and society around her. And I like this introducing the, no, the potential was already there. <laughs> like, you can you can see the seeds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. Mm. Damien's great in this. Damien is very is very good in this. Really, everybody's, everybody's good in this. Yeah. But Damien... <laughs> Thing, it's really good. There's a joke yeah. I'm not going to spoil until the spoiler section because it's too damn good. Mostly, just, <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like the fact that I saw it coming is the best part. Mm. Oh, oh! I just realized something. That's a, yeah, a particular cameo that happens in the movie that I completely fucking missed. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not going to go into it because it's it's a spoiler. Oh, I think I see what it is. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so. I don't know. I, I feel like that's it for non-spoilers. Mm-hmm. In which case, I'll say, go see this one. It's good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a great time. If you haven't seen the original, watch watch that one instead, but yeah. if you have to pick. Well, I'd say watch the original first, for sure, because the, the original is definitely the superior movie. Or maybe watch this one first, and then watch the original. I don't mm. know. Because <laughs> I feel like if you watch the original first, you'll probably come away feeling like us, where it's like, this wasn't as good. But mm. it's still enjoyable on its own merits. Oh, yeah. So maybe watch that first, and then watch the original. Once you're oh, done yeah. watching this. Unless right, you don't right. want to get spoiled, in which case... <laughs> good transition. <laughs> in which case, go watch the musical first, then go watch the original, then come back and watch this. Mm. But if you don't want to get spoiled on Mean Girls, make sure to click away in 3, 2, 1. 
I actually don't have a lot spoiler-wise here. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could talk about the fact that, you know... So what happens is, Katie is befriended by Damien and Janice. Janice used to be a friend of Regina's until they broke apart. And actually, there's more of an explanation given for... I feel like why Janice and Regina drifted apart here. Yes. And also, it's interesting that here they confirm that Janice is not straight, whereas it wasn't really addressed much in yeah. the original. Like, it, it was mentioned that Regina accused her of being a lesbian, and that's part of why everybody turned on her and why Janice and Regina aren't friends and Janice hates Regina, but they never actually go into whether or not it's true, which I feel like doesn't matter because it doesn't matter. Yeah. But it's interesting that here we get the confirmation that, yeah, that is true. And honestly, I feel like that makes Regina feel a little worse. Yeah, because it's the thing of, like, it's it's straight up said that the reason why Janice hates Regina so much in the 2024 movie is because Regina actually outed Janice. Which, yeah, I can, I can uh, especially given, like, current events and all that, I can understand why someone would be particularly upset at that. <laughs> yeah. You can really hear the Moana whenever Janice sings. It's not a complaint. Just an no. observation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I completely forgot. Up until you mentioned it, it's just like, that's right, she is Moana. <laughs> and she does a great job. Yeah. Like all history, this is emotionally layered and culturally dense. <laughs> but were you were you alright with the interpretation of Kevin G? So, I had fun with Kevin G, but I would definitely say 2004 Kevin G was superior. Fair. Although, the whole talent show bit was funnier. Because <laughs> it went from from Tim Meadows just stopping the music and saying, all right, Kevin, that's enough, to, in this one, Kevin G going, like, having a, much, a way raunchier song lined up, and Tim Meadows just be like, Kevin, we talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> Kick you the good MC down. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I appreciate that just because it felt like the whole, like, disappointed teacher thing. It's like, Kevin, please. <laughs> I did also like his card, where instead of it was like, mathematician and dope-ass MC, it just said public figure. And it's like, yeah. alright. <laughs> I think with both characters, I do enjoy how both interpretations of Kevin G are just like the this most gigantic nerd in the planet, but he's still extremely confident and comfortable with it. Because that, in that invites some very fun moments. <laughs> true. True. Honestly, I wouldn't like kill for it. I wouldn't go out of my way for it to happen. But if they announced, hey, we're having like a side series of like, well, I preferably 2004 Kevin G. I'm honestly surprised that that actor didn't make a cameo appearance. I think he might have quit acting, I don't know. Oh, really? I don't remember, let me check this. But I would be on board with, like, a secondary series or something like that, like, something really short that was focused on him. Hmm. Kevin, stop trying to make Skrills happen, it's never gonna happen. What did he- what, what was said after- I don't like, know. Yeah, because I was laughing at that, <laughs> so I missed what Kevin said after that, which prompted the other guy to be like, Hey, you gotta keep it PG-13, bro. <laughs> yeah, okay, he pretty much- he pretty much stopped in 2005. Hmm. Unfortunate. Quite. So Katie ends up infiltrating the plastics on behalf of Janice mm -hmm. to figure out how to destroy Regina's life. But Katie herself gets basically sucked into the plastic lifestyle, and rather than just destroying Regina, ends up supplanting Regina. Yeah, because that's that's how that works. It's the thing yep. of, like, usually for most people, once they get a taste of the power and become top dog, they just get sucked into it rather than break away from it. So, I'm struggling here because the thing is, is that the movie very faithfully goes over the events of the 2004 movie, so that's the hard part where I'm having this point, because it's like, it's not bad by any means, but I've also already seen this, so there's I can't think of anything to talk about that's like a major surprise. The Lindsay uh, Lohan cameo? That I am assuming neither of us noticed until we looked it up? Yeah, because holy shit, she looks so much different now. Yep. <laughs> and not in a good way, I'm sorry. <laughs> wow, that's uncalled for. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> The point is, Lindsay Lohan, who was Katie Heron in the original Mean Girls movie, is the moderator for the Mathletes competition at the mm -hmm. end of the movie. I will say, though, when, when I found that out, it did make the whole bit of, during the Mathletes bit, Katie is trying to reason with the other girl, and is, like, more or less thinking out loud with the struggles that he, she's having and all that. And Lindsay Lohan, during all that, just goes, Honey, we're not here to hear about to hear about your life. And it's like, all right, that's actually kind of funny. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty damn good. <laughs> it's like, it's not a competition, except it is actually a competition. 
those were some pretty good lines. <laughs> yeah. I like the bit when it turns out what we thought was diegetic music is actually non-diegetic. Whichever one is, we thought it was music just being played that the characters can't hear, and it was, and it's because the band geeks were all up in the tree. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was, that a was good, good. That was a good, like, fourth wall break. There's, there's like, two major fourth wall breaks in this movie. There's that, and then there's the whole bit when everyone is in, like, the gym, because tying in with the original movie... The Burn Book, which is more or less a central figure piece where the Plastics write all of their shit talking about the school in this book, gets found. Massive fights break out between all the girls. Your chair is squeaking. Yeah, just a little bit, sorry. I guess I need to WD-40 it again. They get called all to the to the gymnasium to have a talk about it, and in that Tina Fey gets all... By the way, there's a wonderful like song fake out with Tina Fey, too. Oh, it's great. <laughs> it's amazing. That was really great. And then... During one of the apologies that the girls have to say, one goes, it's like, I forget both names of the characters, but it's like, Janice, I'm sorry that I rushed you during Revenge Song. It's like, it's such a major part of the movie, so I just wanted to make sure it was good. And Tim Meadows just goes, what, what is happening right now? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, TFA, she's like, don't worry about it. <laughs> that was good. That was pretty good. Which... Uh, speak of great musical moments, uh, there's one particular bit during the talent show where Damien is singing a song in French, and we see the subtitles, and it took me a few seconds, but I very quickly realized that it was, in fact, the iCarly theme song he was singing in <laughs> French. And so, I just leaned over and went, that's the iCarly theme, and then as soon as he was done, uh, yeah, that was, uh, Damien singing the theme from iCarly. In French. And I was Which... just like, I don't like what that says about me that I recognize that. When the the tempo was different, the lyrics are obviously in a different language. I mean, I don't know if the, if the theme is used in the new show, but it was also my reminder that there is a new iCarly show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Huh. Mm. No, I like this. Yeah. This is decent. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. You got anything else? Mm, not particularly. <laughs> mm. So next week, we got a couple of options. Oh boy. Yeah. What is ISS? International Space Station? Yeah, the one with the with the Americans and the Russians in the space station, and then war breaks out. And Oh, right. I, for- I forgot that, that this was coming out, in all honesty. <laughs> yeah, well, it's out next weekend. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there's also Founder's Day, which I guess is a political slasher. A political... What? <laughs> Uh, okay, here's what here's what Fandango says. In this bold political slasher from the Bloomquist brothers, a small town Shut is shaken by a series up. of ominous killings in the days leading up to a heated mayoral election. As accusations fly and the threat of a mass killer darkens every street corner, the residents must race to uncover the truth before fear consumes the town. Okay. Neat. So I'm leaning <laughs> towards that. Yeah, I think I'm leaning towards that as well. But I also kind of want to try to see ISS, because, well, I've already seen five movies this year, so I might as well keep it going, you know? Right. Regardless, though, thanks so much for listening, everybody. I'm sorry for the audio quality in this one because it's probably not great. Because, as I said, I've been holding this mic the entire time, so <laughs> I tend to move away from it sometimes. Fair. But, uh, thanks so much for listening. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, share the video around. We're on Google Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Amazon. Apple Music as well. Are we on Apple? I don't know if we're on Apple. <laughs> I gotta check. Okay. <laughs> Regardless, this has been Under the Bridge with Cody, a.k.a. the Scarlet Troll. And with Greg, a.k.a. Greg. And we'll catch you guys next week. Goodbye, everybody. Bye!